praised. You are so worthy, O God, to be praised. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Continue to stay in this atmosphere of worship. We're going to jump right into this message today, and I'll just have you standing just for another minute or so. Uh, this morning, um, we're going to speak about God's gifts, um, and we're going to, over the next few weeks, just touch on some gifts from God. But not just any gifts. We're going to be speaking about kingdom gifts, gifts, gifts which are given to us by God. And for the first part uh, today, I've entitled this message, Developing Kingdom Gifts, What's Holding You Back? What's Holding You Back? And we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll have uh, a few verses to read, 6 through 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. King James Version says, stir them up. Yep. Stir up the gifts of God, and which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and of self-discipline or sound mind. And so do not be uh, ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And these gifts are not meant to, to be idle gifts, church, right? Or simply shelved or maintained. Uh, they are to be used. They are to be worked. They are to be stewarded uh, to fulfill our calling and the great commission and to help build and expand the kingdom of God for his glory, to tell his story. Amen? Amen. And that's what we ought to be doing. And so let's just pray and we'll jump right into this message today. Help us, God, to use our gifts rightly, O oh God, and help us not to be intimidated by man. Let us not be intimidated by the devil. Let us not be intimidated by anyone. And let's fulfill the Great Commission and let's love God and love others in the process. In the name of Jesus, anoint this message, anoint this service, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Now, the more we learn about kingdom principles, the better off we will be. We have to trust God and obey God. And, and every time, all the time, every day, and throughout life's journey, it's so important for us to do this. And while many of these uh, principles can be worked in the natural, um, which means even if unsafe people follow them, they will have, I believe, positive results. But it goes way beyond natural thinking and natural behavior. Kingdom principles are both natural and supernatural principles in operation on earth. And we understand uh, kingdom gifts. We must understand they come from God. Those gifts come from God. And every one of us have been given at least one gift. You've been given at least one gift. And therefore, we are to be responsible to develop them and use them for his glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, Paul says... I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that gift. And the problem that I think that I see developing throughout the churches and happening so often is that people have abandoned their gifts and hidden or neglected their God-given gift. And because of that, they have lost some authority. They have lost some power 
an influence which not only affects them directly, but affects those around them as well. Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, stir up the gifts, stir them up, stir them up, fan into flames uh, the gift of God. That's something that you do. That's something that you have to do. That's something that you do, that you intentionally must do. You intentionally put that forward. And so, so many Christians, they're in standby mode. They're in standby mode, right? Waiting to be invited to do something for the Lord. Waiting for God to step in and almost force them to do something. Force them to give them the next steps. And, and I understand that. We ought to wait in the Lord and wait in His presence and dwell in His house and linger there for long times. I believe that. And the more and more over the next several uh, weeks and months, we'll be touching on waiting in the Lord and lingering in His presence and just dwell. Learn to dwell and linger in, in the house of the Lord and in your prayer closet um, to bask in His presence and, and to pause and to listen to the voice of God. Sometimes just quiet it down, church, at these altars, at kneeling. At home, while you're driving, just try to slow it down, calm it down, and just enter into his presence, trying to hear his voice and gain understanding. But so often, we already have the word, right? We already have been called. We already have the word of God. He's called us into action, and his word says, fan into flame the gift of God. Stir it up. And I would say, stoke the fire. Stoke that fire. Fan it. Uncover the ash and blow some wind into it, fan it, and put some wood and kindling there and get that fire going again. Too many have allowed the fire in their heart to go out, to be snuffed out. Too many things in life have caused it to go out. Too many people have allowed dust and ash to cover up those hot coals and allowed them to cool off. Too many have allowed worry and fear and intimidation to stop them from doing what God has already ordained and called and promised for them to do. His word is clear. Stir it up. Stir up the gift. Fan into flames the gift of God. And, and this word uh, stir, for stir up is anazoperil. That's a big word. I, I'm not going to spell it for you. A-N-A-Z-O-P-E-R-E-O. Try to say that real fast. All right. It means to keep full flame, to wake up the sleep, to arouse, to activate or activate the mind, to activate and have some understanding. Paul is encouraging us to activate and to stir up the gift. And that can mean it can go out. That means it can go dormant. And this means it doesn't automatically stay lit, the fire. You have to light the fire. You have to keep it going. As believers, something that we do. And this means that you must apply yourself. Intentionally apply yourself. Apply that gift. Apply that teaching. Apply your understanding. You stoke the fire. You fan it into flames. And you are to be moved and motivated by, by the Holy Spirit. But moved and motivated by your gift as well. Stoke that fire. Now, many people had never learned how to start a fire before. Some people, many people maybe just never went out and did camping or any of those things. But I remember being a Royal Ranger. I remember being a Boy Scout. And, and we would set that fire to a blaze. We, we, we burned it hot. We set a blaze, right? And we would pile up the wood so high. And that fire was going so high, it was blazing. And we would stay up until early in the morning with that fire. Adding wood, cutting wood, keeping it burning. But eventually... We would fall asleep. 
Eventually the fire would go out. Why? Because it was neglected. Because of time. Because it was no longer being, the fire was no longer being stoked and taken care of. So it would slowly just, what seems to be burning out. But when that fire was really hot, when that fire was really set ablaze, and you had a solid base of, of hot coals, even when it seemed to be totally out, when you had that strong base, that strong foundation, that strong face, even when that fire seemed to go out, uh, there, and there was no longer a fire, no longer a glow, if you stoked it, if you started, if you started to fan it, started to, to stir it up and, and started to get those ashes off it, right, and, and blow some wind onto those coals, right, you would see it start to glow. You would start to see the fire to start waking up when you intentionally started to blow. Holy Spirit, blow on us. Holy Spirit, move on us. Holy Spirit, motivate us. And then you add some pieces of wood and then that fire would build and it would start to glow again and again. And you would have a bright fire again. The longer you wait to fan that fire, to fan that flame, the greater the danger you have for it going out and going out permanently. Now in, their, in the church, there's many people with good intentions, great intentions. And they have a pure heart. And they want, they want God to do something, right? They believe it, it is, it's up to God to do something. And, and, and God is just going to make it happen. And from one point of view, I get that. I get it. God is good. God is sovereign. God is going to do something. His plans are going to be put forth. I believe that in my heart. And it will accomplish what it's set out to accomplish. And it will set out to do good things and great things. And it will happen. But will it be done through you? Will it be done through your church? Will, will he have to find someone else willing to do what you were supposed to do? If you don't praise him. If you don't obey him. If you don't follow his words and his commands. He will often find someone else to do it. And then you miss out on your blessing. And so you must take action, not just have good intentions. So many people have just good intentions, but that's where it stops. And Luke 19 reminds us of his disciples, uh, that his disciples, if they won't joyfully, and we are his disciples, we're still living in the church age, we are his disciples, you need to understand that. And so if we won't joyfully praise God in voices, uh, loud voices for all the miracles that they, ha that he has, they have seen. If they kept quiet, he told them the stones will cry out. And Paul warns Timothy over and over again in, in these books. In a sense, he warns us too. Don't let the fire go out. Stir it up. Mix it up. Fan into flames the gift of God and do it with intentionality. That's what you're supposed to do. We have to be passionate about the things of God. We have to be passionate, right, about our gifts and our purpose and our intention on earth. We have to be passionate about it. We have to make sure that our gifts are not neglected. Fan it into flames. Stir it up. Stoke the fire. So what causes our gifts to go out or dormant? Well, first I said it, it's neglected. It's neglected. Again and again, if we don't stir it up, if we don't operate uh, by faith, if, if we don't hold on to the promises of, of God, uh, then you are neglecting your gifts. You're neglecting your purpose. You're not living by, by faith. He's the gift giver. And each one of us have at least one gift. You have a gift. And he tells us to use that gift to fit in the flames. But there's a deeper reason, I, I think, uh, than just neglection and laziness or allowing the fire to go out and cool off. And I think the answer is, is that we allow fear or intimidation to influence us and to hold us back. Verse 7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, 
but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. And this word for timidity is fear or being intimidated. So your, so your gift is, is dormant often because of fear and intimidation. And a, and a more brash way to say it might be that you neglected uh, your gifts because you're scared or because you're a coward to use it. You are intimidated. And when you don't act with godly faith, you start to lose your authority. You start to lose your position, your influence, your confidence. And too many believers have dormant gifts. Gifts that are inactive. And that is why from time to time I will say, it's time for the church to awaken. It's time for the sleeping giant to, to awaken. We have to awaken the church again. Too many Christians have fallen asleep. They have neglected their gifts and their gifts are dormant. And they're not being used like they should be used. They're not active. They're not in operation. They can, so much more. And if they are, they're just buzzing along with, with just low-level low buzzing. We need to raise the bar. Stroke the fire. Fan into flames your gift. When we're intimidated, often when we're fearful, we pull back. We, we, we back away. We shy away. And we stop going forward by faith, doing the things that we know are right and things that we are called to do. And the word intimidation or intimidate is often defined as to make timid or fearful. To make timid or be fearful. But God did not give us a spirit of timidity. He doesn't want us to walk and work in fear. Boo! Ah, now that's different. That's a moment. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about operating in fear as a regular way of operation. I'm scared to go out. I'm scared to go to church. I'm scared to go outside. That we're operating in this idea of fear. And once again, this is where the devil comes in and plays with our mind. He attacks us by trying to get us to focus on the wrong things. He will attack our thoughts. He will attack our mind. He will attack our imagination. He will attack us in circumstances or, or criticism will derail us, our thoughts, right? Our mind. The criticism will cause us to be fearful, but we need to be self-disciplined, church, right? We are to have a calm mind, a sound mind. Control our mind. Control what we're focusing. Even right now, whether you're at home or here, I hope you're not playing with your phone. I hope you're taking notes on your phone. Because our mind can be somewhere else instead of right here where it belongs for this moment in time. Give God all the glory and honor he respects. Not me, but God. And so we have to control our mind. We have to control what we're thinking on and control what we're thinking. Think about these things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Think about it. But often what do we do? We have the what if mindset. What if? What if? What if can be so negative and, and demeaning to us, right? And not just off course. What if? What if things go wrong? What if I can't measure up? What if I'm not light? What, what if? What if I'm not smart enough? What if I'm not good enough? What if? What if? Right? What, what if? And again, it's a negative approach to life. It's a negative approach to life. Fear does that. Fear can take over our mind. Fear can take over our heart. It unleashes something in us. It can, it can cause us to be discouraged. It can cause us to have confusion. It can cause us to be intimidated. It can cause us to be frustrated at life, at home, at work, at play, just in general. The more we allow fear to rule the day, the more we get overwhelmed and we pull away. The more we have this negative head talk in our heart and our mind, 
the greater, right? The greater it is to overcome that hurdle. It becomes harder. Intimidation and fear, if it's not dealt with, it's going to hinder us and stop us from ministering and being fruitful and productive people in the kingdom of God. It will render your gifts inoperable. And so we need to, to, to replace fear with faith. And I always say this all the time. Faith is not stagnant. Faith is an action word. In fact, if we take courage and understand that courage is not doing something in the absence of fear, it's doing something in spite of fear, in spite of risks. And when you are bold and courageous, you understand that there are still some risks. You understand that what you're about to do can be dangerous. Or maybe it is dangerous. Maybe God called you to do something dangerous. Maybe God called you to go into the mission field. Maybe God called you to talk to someone at work. Maybe God called you to go to your neighbor next door and say something. Not yell at them, but say something holy and wholesome and nice. But do it in spite of the danger. Do it in spite of your fear. In spite of the intimidation. We need to overcome our fears with godly faith, wisdom, his word, and courage. If fear stops us or causes us to be set back, it wins. But bold courage should move us forward. Courage, bold courage should move us forward. And so many people today have allowed the fear to rule their, their day and their lives. And, and many have ruined their lives because of fear and neglected their gifts because of fear. And a minimum hindered them from using their God-given Gifts properly. So many people have become overcome with fear. We see it. We know it. We hear the stories. I was scared. I was fearful. And so they step back from living the life that they have been called to live. And that's a life of, of faith. Now, I don't want to make life light of fears and phobias. I don't. I think in some way we all have some kind of fear and phobia that we have to get over. But we should try to get over it. Stop, stop trying to say that's just the way I've been made. He didn't give us a spirit of timidity. And so we got to try to get over it. Try to work at it. Intentionally work at it. Focus on your ministry. Focus on your gifts. Because fears and phobias are real. And they will affect your health. But it really goes beyond that. When we neglect our gifts. When you're not using your gifts. Because you're operating in fear. You hinder God's plans and purposes for your life. For the life of the church and the life of those around you. It affects more than just you. You don't live in a vacuum. You don't operate in a vacuum. What you're doing on planet earth has an effect on those around you. But when you're overcome, and you overcome this I should say, and start using your, your gifts and developing your gifts. When you start walking in your God-given authority and power and obeying his will and his ways, you become the victor. And those around you affected. And the kingdom of God advances. Amen. Now David in the Bible is a great example of overcoming fear and intimidation while developing his gifts. And scripture reveals uh, to us that David had to deal with intimidation. He had to deal with his brothers and his family. He had to deal with uh, King Saul. He had to deal with Goliath, the giant. He had to deal with himself. And finally, he had to deal with God. In 1 Samuel chapter 16... The prophet Samuel was anointed, uh, anointed David as king. Again, while David is developing his gifts, he's dealing with intimidation. In the first place, it was coming, this intimidation, this first place it was coming from was his brothers and family. 
overcoming intimidation, dealing with family. But first, let me give you a little background here, right? In the prior chapters of 1 Samuel 16, we start to see the fall of King Saul, the fall of King Saul, right? He started to reject God. He turns away from him. He did not carry out the instructions that God gave him, right? And God told Saul to completely destroy the Amalekites, which represented sin, symbolic of sin, and sin needs to be purged from our life. And so partially obey God. And this is why I say partial obedience to God is sin. You either obey God's voice or you don't. You're either obedient or you're not. You cannot have it both ways, right? Partial obedience is sin. You hear God's voice. Do what he says. Do it all the way. Partial obedience is sin. We see that in Paul's life. And Paul now saw uh, Saul starts lying about that and he disobeys God and he rejects God's words and then God rejects Saul, King Saul. So now David is found to be anointed king and he would be around 15 years old in that general area of, uh, when, he, um, when he gets anointed somewhere. And I'll talk more about that I think in a second, maybe 10 to 15 years old. But it's going to be about 15 years later where he's actually going to become king at age 30. And this means, again, that David was around 10, 15 years old when he was anointed king. And then the story plays out in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And David was not even considered uh, to be anointed king by his family. He wasn't invited to the party. They underestimated him. The Lord told Samuel to anoint the son of Jesse. And one by one, they all lined up uh, in front of Saul, except David. He was left out of this event, right? In fact, Samuel initially thought that God was going to anoint the eldest brother. And verse 6 of 1 Samuel 16 says, When they arrived, Samuel saw uh, uh, Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider in appearance or his height, uh, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at, but man looks at the outward appearance, but we know this, but the Lord looks at the heart. Can you say heart today? Heart. heart. Not heart today, but heart. heart. Hallelujah. The Lord looks at the heart. And we know that David had a heart after God's heart. And it, this was at a very young age. And I think this is a lesson. Listen up, youth. I think this is a lesson for you as well. Uh, God, God wants to use you even at a very young age. And many other doors are going to be open. You, you open. When you're faithful with a little, God is going to bless you with more. That's how it works. So don't limit your gifts, right? Don't limit your gifts because you're young. Uh, keep fanning them into flames. Keep stoking the fire. Keep pressing in more. Keep, keep working on your gifts. Keep studying. Keep training, right? Uh, keep spending time and dwell in the presence of God. Linger in the presence of God. Can I get an amen, church? Yeah. Right? Because this is not just for them. This is for you as well. But it's definitely for the youth. Yeah. Right? But our time is not up either. Right. right? So these are promises are for us too. Be faithful with your gift. Be faithful with little things. God will bless you with more. God will bless you with different opportunities. His words are true. I hold on to those promises. I don't just repeat them just to repeat them. I remind myself. This preaching is for me as well as for us and those listening. Now David's oldest brother was uh, not the right one to lead Israel. 
He wasn't going to be king. So Jesse lines up more sons. One after the other, Samuel gets them and lines them up. After looking at all of them, the Lord didn't choose any of them. And so Samuel asks Jesse, what's up? What's up, Jesse? These are all your sons? That's how I read it. What's up, Jesse? These are all your sons? And Jesse says, no, they're still the youngest one. But he's tending the sheep. Samuel's like, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Now, maybe you experienced something like this in your own life, in your own household, where you were left out of the party, where you were not invited by someone, but maybe someone just underestimated your skills or forgotten you in some way. That could be a painful experience. I've been forgotten. I've been underestimated. I wasn't invited to the party. Maybe you're the oldest one in your family, and, and now your youngest gets is getting the rewards that you coveted. You wanted it. And that makes you angry. That makes you bitter. And so you start making fun of your younger sibling. Family relationships can be so intimidated, intimidating at times. The ones that should love you the most are the ones that hurt you the most. That's how it works, unfortunately. That happens in the church as well. With family God's supposed to rally around each other. We, we, we hurt each other. It's a topic for another day. But David experienced the pain of this at a very early age. But he also was blessed at a very early age. And what was David doing when he was anointed king? He was watching over the sheep. He was tending his father's flock. He was building up his resume with God. He was dealing with the lion and the bear that was coming to attack. Working his skill set. Practicing with his sling. Worshipping and trusting God in the fields, even in obscurity, when nobody cared, when nobody was watching, when nobody, nobody was paying attention to him, David was faithful unto God, and he was protecting God's flock and his father's flock, and he was honoring God with his gifts and his purposes and his talents and ability, even in obscurity, even when nobody was watching. Now sometime later, probably years later, David's going to fight Goliath. It didn't happen right away. David was somewhere like 16 to 19 years old when he's going to fight Goliath. And his dad sent him to bring some food and supplies to his brothers who are now in war with Saul's army. He was also, David was also to bring back a good report uh, to his father from his brothers. Now on this particular day, everything started to change for David again. 40 days the Philistines came forward every morning and every evening and took his stands. Goliath is going to taunt them. Goliath's going to taunt the Israelites and make fun of them. But on this particular day, David starts hearing the taunting of Goliath. He starts hearing it. In verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loading up and, and set out. And Jesse has directed him. Even that one verse right there tells us so much about David. We're not going to go into that now. But it's so much telling us about David. He reached the camp as the army was going out to the battle positions. Shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. Verse 22. David left the things with the keeper of the supplies. Ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. And he was talking with them. And Goliath. The Philistine champion from Gath stepped up out from the lines and, and shouted his usual defiance. David heard it. And when the Israelites saw the man, they ran from him in great fear. Now, Goliath was a, was a giant. 
He was a very tall man. He was very intimidated. And, and, and some would say that he was over 10 feet. His armor alone weighed over 125 pounds, plus his sword and, and javelin and his spear, right? Some say that it was over 200 pounds. But again, very intimidating for the average sized person. And every day he would taunt this army. These men were, were filled with fear in their hearts, the, the, the fear of, of, in their hearts of the, the Israelites. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the, the armies of the living God? And the men were saying, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills, kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage. Now, unless you know if she's a hottie or not, that might not be something that you want to die for. I don't know. And we'll exempt his family from taxes in Israel. I die for you, baby. Verse 28. It's said officially and it's out there. We know that now. Verse 28. When Elibed, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at his brother. Why have you come down here? And whom did you leave these few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, what have I done, David says? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. See, David had to deal with rejection from his family on more than one occasion. But dealing with your oldest brother, maybe 20 years older than you, to rise up against you and to mock you, that can be very intimidating because you know you have to go home at the end of the, right? He's not going away. He's your family. He's not going away. You're going to have to see him again uh, at the end of the night or eventually he's going to go home. And this is where fear and doubt can kind of set in. And this is when if you're not walking and working and operating and you're calling in your gifts, you can be uh, intimidated and there can be setbacks. But what David does, he turns away. He said what's on his mind. He turns away and he speaks with someone else. And sometimes you need to just move on. Why are you arguing? Why are you even debating? Just move on. People are going to try to derail you and try to hinder uh, the move of God. Um, stay focused. Move on. Stay focused on what you know in your heart God has called you to do. Don't let man or anyone else get in the way. Satan is going to try to derail you and hinder the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's who he is, right? Don't, don't, don't be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. And then learn how to move and be directed by Holy Spirit. Learn to hear God's voice, right? Learn, learn to read and, and meditate on the Holy Scriptures. We need to stop listening to the enemies of God. We need to stop focusing on what God has called us to do. The enemy wants to bring you down, but God wants to elevate you higher and higher. Amen? And sometimes our family and friends will, will be used to do evil. They would try to derail us. Now, I'm not saying they are evil. Listen to what I am saying, not what I'm not saying. But they do evil. They can be part of that. Or at least they're going to block and hinder what God is. You know that spoken word, when you're looking for a joyous word or encouraging word, that, that spoken word can really set you back when it's, when it's not of God and it's not encouraging. Just be careful, church, of, the, of that spoken word. But don't allow it to stop you. And if you have done that to a friend or a family member, repent to God and apologize to your friend and your family member. Again, that spoken word can be so cutting and derailing and knock you off course. 
David moves on. David goes to his mission. David is focused on what his father has asked him to do. And now he believes that the Lord is prompting him to do something else. And while the Lord might not be speaking out loud, um, David knew in his heart there was something that he had to do. And, and someone had to take a stand for righteousness. And I believe that that desire in David's heart was a desire that came from God. And when no one advanced and no one took a stand for righteousness and they were only retreating, David took a stand. David took a stand for righteousness. David's like, I'm going to advance here. And he had, um, he, it was like he had to do something, right? Right, it, it, it was like this righteous anger filled his body. He had to do, he had to do something. Now, intimidated, was he intimidated by the situation? I would say probably somewhat. He's gonna face a giant. He, he's going to face this trained warrior, 10 feet high, trained from youth. But David faced adversity before, and he knew that God was with him, and he knew that God was for him, and and he starts speaking life into the situation. I love that. He didn't speak doubt. He didn't speak negative. He didn't speak fearfully, right? He spoke life. Church, speak life into your life. Speak life into other people's lives. Whoa is me. When I hear that, I go, whoa. Speak life into your family. Speak life into the situation. Speak life over yourself. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on the account of this beast, this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. Will go and fight him. Now Saul didn't see warrior David. He only seen David the boy. Verse 33, Saul replied, you're not able to go out and fight against this Philistine and fight him, right? You're only a boy, and he's been fighting men since he was a youth. So David had to overcome intimidation of his family. Now David has to overcome Saul's doubt and Saul's intimidation as well. Finally, someone's willing to fight Goliath, but Saul only saw a boy. In the natural, this fight... David could not win. In the natural, David was just a boy, a young boy. But when God has called you, when God has chosen you, when God has anointed you, when that calling of God is on your life, when you are gifted to do something, what does it matter what you're facing, right? And this was going to be a spiritual battle as much as it was going to be a natural battle. And David said to King Saul, verse 34, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it down, I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it then turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And I say to you, church, go in the power and the authority of God, and may the Lord be with you. Amen. Yeah, we can give God a praise offering there. Hallelujah. Once again, David's going to reflect on what he has done in the past. Too many, too many Christians, too many believers are relying on theory 
and their academics and not on the experience that they've had. David knew God personally. It wasn't just academic. It wasn't just theory, right? It wasn't something he just read about. He experienced the power and the authority of God. He walked in the power and the authority of God. He used his gifts and abilities in obscurity when nobody was watching what he was doing. He used his gifts and ability as a shepherd while he was tending uh, his flock, his father's sheep. And if we can learn to work in the Lord's kingdom and for the Lord and be a kingdom minded, he will help us too. And it won't just be theory anymore. We will start experiencing God at greater levels and greater measures. Too often we try to do something, right, that, that we're not called to do and we get ourselves in trouble. Too often we try to walk in someone else's calling and we try to walk in someone else's gifting. We try to walk in a lane that was never meant for you to walk in and then you get hurt and you're like, what up, Lord? Well, I didn't tell you to go down that road. I gave you this gift, but you wanted someone else's gift. You wanted to do your own thing. Right? I don't know if they talk that way anymore, but that's the way it was when I was growing up. What's that thing? What's going on, yo? But anyway, sorry. That's my experience. It might not be yours. We can't even have our own experiences anymore in this world. You know that? Like, it's like, oh, cancer culture. We're not going to listen to anybody anymore. Uh, whatever. Turn the channel. Whatever. How do you, you can't even say turn the channel anymore, right? That shows my age. Yes, I'm 56. Whatever. Be who you are in Christ. Be who you are in Christ. Learn to develop your gifts, right? Stop telling everybody how to learn to develop their gift. Learn how to develop your gift, right? Walk in your lane. Don't try to be something that you're not. God has designed you uniquely with your gift, with your talents, with your ability. Use them rightly. Stir up the gifts. Keep that fire burning. Let it burn, right? Now Saul tries to dress David in his own tunic, but that doesn't work. The armor was designed and built for Saul, not David. And once again, you cannot walk in someone else's authority. You cannot walk in someone else's calling. You cannot walk in someone else's clothing and think, now that makes me victorious. You know, he puts on the Saul's armor. That doesn't make him king. Not yet. It is God who makes you victorious. And as you're faithful with what God has placed in your hands, when he gives you that opportunity, serve. When he places something in your hands to do something, do it faithfully. When, when you step up, regardless if it's a little task or a big task, work it unto the Lord. He's the one who gives the victory. He's the one who blesses, right? But he expects us to operate in faith. He expects us, you, me, us, to use our gifts, talents, and abilities, and to operate in them for his glory. David says to Saul, I cannot, I cannot go in these because I'm not used to them. So, so he took them off. Now, David knew how to walk in, 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 the, in God's authority. But he also understood authority, right? And so Saul, and, and he understood Saul and King was the authority. And so he needed Saul's approval as well to, to fight. And so he tried to wear Saul's armor. It didn't work. So now he has to say something. It didn't work. Remember, church, I believe that God wants us to honor authority. It's easy to do our own thing. It's harder to follow the leader and the one in charge and the one in authority over you. Yeah. Scripture is so clear on this. 
But every great leader was once a great follower. And if you don't follow well, you will never lead well. If you don't follow well or, or you disrespect authority, you're actually violating God's words. And as we learned last week in Romans 13, everyone must submit to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he rebels against the authority, is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, there are also times that we need to stand up for ourselves and not be intimidated by leadership or authority. Sometimes we need to say, hey, this is not working. I cannot walk in, in this clothes. Remember, obedience and submitting to one's authority is not the same thing. Obedience, like I said last week, is more about action and following commands. Submission is more about attitude, respect, and yielding to the one in power and authority. And so you can disobey an order and still be in submission by respecting the position of that leader. In other words, under the position, not the behavior. And David did that. He refused to wear Saul's armor, but he respected Paul, uh, Saul's authority and Saul's position as king. And David was now blessed by God and by man, and he was given the, the, the green light to fight Goliath. Verse 40, then, then he, David, took his staff in his hand, chose five small stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now David had to deal with the enemy, the giant, Goliath, right? So we're going to be dealing with the enemy. And Goliath starts to, to make fun of David and tries to make him feel small. He tries to intimidate David and make fun of him by saying in verse 44, Come here, I'll give you your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David wasn't having it. Nope. Uh, he knew who he was. Uh, he was... He, was he, he knew who he was fighting for. He knew he was a child of the, of the, of the Lord. In verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword and the spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled this day. The Lord will hand you over to me. I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the bird of the air, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give us, he will give all of you into our hands as the Philistines move closer to attack him. David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Church, too many Christians are running away. David ran too. When the battle starts raging, we need to rage too. We need to go forward and fight the fight in Jesus' name according to scriptures and do it rightly. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. With a sword, without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. 
And David, again, runs forward, stood over him. He took the Philistine's sword. He took David's, uh, Goliath's own sword and drew it from the skate bar. And after he killed him and he cut off the head with the sword, and the Philistines saw the hero was dead, they turned and they ran. Right? Sometimes, I remember when I was a young, a, young, a young lad, there was a little situation out in one of the parts in Queens, and my cousin, who wasn't that big, went and hit the biggest guy. That was really interesting. I didn't know how that was going to go. I don't know why I'm telling you that story. I could just tell you that sometimes when the biggest guy falls, the rest run. That, that's the moral of that story. Not, don't fight. Don't get into fights. Walk away. I didn't fight. I witnessed it. That's all I'm trying to say. It, because, the, 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 yeah, whatever. God, God was gracious on me that night, right? So they turned and they ran. When we dedicate our gifts and our work unto God, he's going to bless it. Yes. Right, church? Yep. I see the smiles, but I want, you to, I want you to engage in this too. Amen. He will bless it. And when the Israelites saw that Goliath was killed, they were encouraged. I say this over and over again. I keep saying it. I hope for as long as God gives me breath. Have a testimony. Share that testimony. Have a testimony. Your testimony. Stop being a pretender. You have a testimony. Share your testimony with others. And, and tell them that you, have, you are a born-again believer now. You received Jesus. That's something to be excited about. If that's your only testimony, that's enough. Amen. That's enough. You don't have to say all oh, this or that. Just say, I am a born-again believer. Amen. And Jesus changed my life. And wherever I was going, I'm now going in a better direction. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Glory be to God. Our testimony should excite those around us because they see the change life in us. And if there's not a change, start worrying and wondering, was I changed? There should be a change. There should be something about you that's different. And if not, you keep pressing in with the Lord. Lord, change my heart, oh Lord. I leave the singing to my wife. You know that, right? But you get that, right? Change my heart. I want to be more like you. It's encouraging to the soul. When we don't walk in God's authority, people suffer. It's not just about us. It's about those around us. When we are hurt, when we are wounded, when we are defeated, when we're downcast or fearful or intimidated, it will have a negative effect. But when you awaken and arise up and you know, someone around you or even yourself starts taking a stand for righteousness, you start using your gifts, right? Hope comes alive. And you put the enemy to flight, right? They start seeing the miracles. They start getting excited about what is being said. And they want to become a partaker in it. Be part of the solution, not the problem. Right? We need to start getting involved again in what's happening. And that's where we find David. He killed the giant. And the people who underestimated him were now encouraged. And their faith arises. And they rise up. And they gave chase. And moments later, a moments earlier, they're operating in fear. And moments later, now they're, 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 they're operating in faith and they're moving forward and they're going forward and they pick up their weapons and, and they gave pursuit and they had a great victory that day. But it started with one person, one person rising up and saying, I'm going to do this for the Lord Jesus Christ and an army followed. And so it might be you, it might be me, it might be someone else, but we need to rise up and start going forward by faith and watch others Amen. rally behind us. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. 
Imagine if David stayed intimidated or fearful. Overcoming intimidation, we have to deal with ourselves. David had to rely on God. God helped David. And we knew that, and he knew that God helped him in the past and he will do it again. And so he held on to the promises of God. Church, we need to know that God is fighting his battles through us. But when we don't want to fight, when we don't want to rise up, when we don't want to just tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ, we lose out on our blessings. Each and every one of us have been given a gift from God. We need to utilize it rightly. We need to step up. We need to model Christ rightly in our life. When we do it, others are going to rise up as well. I believe it gets contagious. When you come up to the altars, set an example. Model Christ rightly. Others are going to follow. When you lift up holy hands and worship, that sets the stage for other people who might not have the faith that you have to watch you go to the altar, watch you raise your hands, and they start raising their hands. When you start praying, right, and you start entering the presence of God, and you start learning how to dwell and linger in, in his house and in his presence, it's contagious. Other people are going to see that Shekinah glory on you and that glory of God shining through you, and they'll be like, I want that. I want that. Overcoming and fear and, and intimidation takes courage. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. We have to walk and work in the authority of God and influence people around us. Hallelujah. Now, not everybody's going to follow your lead. We saw that with David's brothers. Right? They lacked courage. The anger that, they, that the brother had. The negative comments. But David worked unto the Lord, not man. Focus on your mission. Focus on what God's called you to do. And I believe many souls will come into the kingdom of God. The enemy will get mad as well. Seeing David, zeal for God, Goliath got mad. He got angry. But I'll just say this, too bad, Goliath. And now you can't even talk. You don't have a head anymore. Now we're going to have many Goliaths in our life. You need to know that. Giants and situations that you're not going to be able to overcome on your own. Not in the natural, but supernatural. With God with you. Being moved and motivated by the Spirit of God. Everything changes. The size of the situation doesn't matter. The size or position or influence of the person against you doesn't matter. Young or old doesn't matter. We fight for the Lord. We have access to heaven and earth to do His will. And we ought to hear the voice of God and be moved into action. Praise God. Hallelujah. Within these church walls, or outside these church walls, where to use God's gifts for His glory. And I heard it put this way from someone else, and I'm just going to do this quickly. I have... Three, three things here, and I added a fourth one. I'm just going to go through this quickly if you want to jot some of this down. First, we're to serve God in a general way. Serve in a general way. Serve your community. Serve your city. Speak to your neighbors and, and, and see how you can help others serve in a general way. Maybe somewhere down the road I'll, I'll go into this in more details. But uh, serve in a, in a gathered way. And that Sunday and throughout the week, there are things that need to be done at the church, cleaning the property, ushering, teaching, safety, so many other things. We can serve 
in a, in a gathered way. We need to, people to believe in, in this house, in this local church, willing to help and serve here. Um, it's great that people want to work elsewhere and do things elsewhere, and it's okay. But this house should be important too. Important to all of us who say this is my, my home church, right? This means more than just showing up on a Sunday and receiving worship and a word or communion. We're to serve in a gathered way. Number three, a specialized way. Serve in a specialized way. And maybe you have a special skill set. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're a doctor, a nurse, or a construction worker, or you're a programmer, or, or you have some kind of trade of some sort. Maybe um, you know how to edit stuff, whatever. Learn how to work in a special, serve in a specialized way. And there are some things that maybe you've been trained for um, that can help this church and help this community and help this body of believers, right? Uh, deliver the message of, of Christ. Learn to serve in a specialized way. Come see myself and my, and my wife and see how that fits in here. Um, but I'm sure it fits in somewhere in the community of, of God. Finally, serve in a gifted way. And that's where this message comes together. Serve in a gifted way. Uh, and maybe that gifted way is the specialized way, but maybe it's, it's not. And while there are some people that by training have a specialized gift, I'm saying more than that. I'm saying serve God in a gifted way. Use your gift, your God-given gift for the kingdom of God. And that gift should be used to advance God's kingdom. And that gift is to bless others inside and outside the church. Serve in a gifted way. And that gift might be used... Um, that gift must be stirred, I should say. That gift must uh, be fanned into flames. It must be intentional. Regardless if you're young or old, God has called you and blessed you, empowered you with this gift. And it to be used to serve and advance the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 12 says, beginning at verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working but the same God who works in all of them. Jump to verse 11. All these are the works of one and the same spirit. He gives to them each one just as he determines. The body is a unit, though it may be of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it's with Christ. So, For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we all given the one spirit to drink. And now this final thought is overcoming intimidation dealing with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And for our gifts to really be used rightly, we must respond to Jesus and the convicting um, and convincing power of Holy Spirit. Too many people are intimidated by church. They're intimidated by Christ. Jesus is God. And Jesus was with God at creation, the creation of the world, because Jesus is God. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness, but darkness has not understood it. And until you receive Jesus Christ and are moved by the Holy Spirit, you are living in darkness and you don't understand the light and you don't understand your gifts. You don't understand the Spirit of God and supernatural. And secondly, when you don't use your gifts or when you reject the Holy Spirit, you grieve Him and hinder the advancement of the kingdom of God. The Bible says, fan into flames your gift, stir it up. That can only be done rightly by obeying the Holy Spirit and following God's will and ways. And so I just want to quickly give you some scripture verses to write down. It should be on uh, the, the projector behind me. 
Isaiah 63, 10, but, but they rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy himself and himself fought against them. Acts 7, 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your father did, so do you. Ephesians 4, 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians 1, 3, in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. And finally, Acts 1.8. You shall receive power. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. You be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We need his power. Kingdom's gifts don't stop inside the church. They are to be used and affected outside the church as well. To be used in the world, to be a blessing to others for God's glory. And without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we're only mere mortals trying to do something eternal. But it does not work. It cannot work. We need Jesus. And we need to be moved and motivated by God, by Holy Spirit. And His words tells us, use His gifts. Right? Stir it up. Ignite that fire. Use our gifts for his kingdom glory. Fan into flame the gift of God. If you don't know Jesus today, speak to him from your heart. Tell him you're a sinner. Tell him you're sorry. You apologize. Repent for your sins. Ask him to be Lord of your life. And he will save you. He will change you. He will transform you. I believe that. But for the rest of us, for all of us, I should say, Let's face our families and, and the authorities and the enemies and even our own self and kick out that spirit of intimidation so we can move forward in his, his giftings. He's anointed and appointed us to do. It's in the name of Jesus that we have the victory. It's in the name of Jesus that breaks every stronghold. It's in the name of Jesus that every addiction is broken, even every lie of the enemy. So let's stand and let's speak the name of Jesus just for a few moments. To God be the glory.
Bless the name of the Lord.